growth still strong. And uh, whilst we'll see a continued softness, um, we're not seeing a huge amount of dislocation. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who's director at Staten Advice. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And a look at markets for this week right now in Australia. Uh, the SX200 is down 0.6%. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 off half a percent. Same story for the Cosby in South Korea. And in about an hour's time, when training here in Hong Kong starts, looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 150 points. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. Please join me once again on Monday morning for a new week of Money Talk. Back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine, cool in the morning, dry during the day, maximum temperature of around 21 degrees. And the outlook is for sunny intervals tomorrow. It's going to be rather warm on Sunday. The winds will strengthen gradually with cool mornings early to midweek next week. Temperature right now, 16 degrees, and it's 75% relative humidity. Time's 8.31. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. About 60,000 people left Hong Kong last year, according to official estimates, with the SAR's population falling by about 68,000, or just under 1%. It's the third annual population decline in a row. Births also hit a record low at 32,500. A government spokesperson said COVID was a factor, but that the situation should improve as normality returns. Paul Yip is a population expert from the University of Hong Kong. The signs looks a bit promising. At least the outflow is not as fast as before, but I am not quite sure. I think the trend can be reversed uh, immediately. I think it really depends on the performances I think of the Hong Kong government and also the uh, and the situation as a whole. Whether we make Hong Kong as a livable and city, I think for the Hong Kong resident, yeah, to you know the that uh, they are not living as many as they were, and also we will be able to attract the foreign talents. The first school in Hong Kong offering the mainland curriculum is set to open in 2026. The Education Bureau has allocated a site for the non-profit-making private school in Tin Shui Wai, which will be run by the Yu Chung Yu Hua Education Network. It hopes to serve mainland families living here who later plan to return to the mainland. But local children will also be welcome. Esther Chan is from the network. We'll be closely monitoring the market uh, over the next three years. We have plans to open years one to four in the first year, as well as the first year of secondary. In terms of the, the number of students, I don't want to speculate at this stage. An educator has welcomed news that Hong Kong will have its first school offering the mainland curriculum. Mervyn Chung from the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization says he hopes authorities can smooth out issues to open the school even earlier as it ties in well with Hong Kong's desire to learn to lure mainland talent. He cited possible staffing issues such as having mainland teachers working in Hong Kong or local teachers learning the mainland curriculum as well as the two sides having different teaching methods. From my previous visits to schools on the mainland, they seem to be quite tied down to the curriculum laid down by the government. Also, the kind of teaching, mainly following textbooks and school-provided materials. And then in Hong Kong, we stress a lot the importance of school-based development, school-based materials, and also school-based instructional methods. So these kind of things would need to be better regulated. On the one hand, sorting the curriculum, tossing schools on the mainland, and at the same time, fitting the educational environment in Hong Kong. 
the Politburo Standing Committee says China has achieved a major and decisive victory in its COVID-19 prevention and control since November. The statement was issued after a meeting in Beijing presided over by President Xi Jinping. Finally, the US traffic safety body has told the car maker Tesla to fix software problems in more than 360,000 of its vehicles. The regulator said Tesla's self-driving software could cause a crash by letting the car exceed speed limits or travel unpredictably. Tesla says it'll release a free software fix. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning. This is Back Chat for Friday, February the 17th, 2023. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Yuki Zhang. Buckle up, drivers, tech geeks, and transportation policy wonks. And foodies and animal rights people. On Friday's Back Chat, we're talking about the HKE toll booth scheme after the government decided to postpone the launch of a new tunnel toll system until May. The new scheme was planned to be rolled out at the Qingsha Control Area in late February to replace manual toll booths and auto toll lanes for the Eagle's Nest Tunnel. Transport Commissioner Rosanna Law said officials decided to delay the program after getting complaints from drivers, especially taxi groups. But she stressed that the plan is still to phase out toll booths at all government tunnels by the end of the year. After 9.15, we'll talk about the suspected sale of illegal cats and dog meats. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat, on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, kicking off today's show, we would like to welcome uh, Lam Chun Sing, the chair of the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions. Good morning, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Good morning. We've also got Dr. Tim Howe, honorary associate professor, faculty of business and economics at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Dr. Howe. Good morning. All right. Uh, gentlemen, uh, you know, Mr. Lamb, you've been very outspoken about one particular part of this, uh, the implementation of this program and the delay of this new, this new uh, toll booth scheme. Uh, and that has to do with the people involved in employment. What, what's your take on, on how they're handling the people that are being, currently being employed to collect uh, fares at tolls at tunnels? Um, yes. Uh, the transport department postponed the launch of the e-toll. Uh, fee flow tolling system, and they maybe have little impact on the staff who work in Changsar control area, uh, because after the transport department notified the management company earlier, uh, which is uh, about the implementation of the fee flow tolling system at Changsar control area, and according to the message of the trade union, uh, the company has already arranged the compensation, uh, such as subsidy payment under the employment ordinance and dismiss the workers. The last working day is in March. But now the management company may request the staff continue to work until May. If they need to, if the staff, uh, if they need to leave at next month, the staff may need to pay a payment in year of notice or require uh, one month notice for the termination of an employment contract. So it's a difficult situation for them because some of the staff has already find another new job before and maybe they need to take the new job at uh, March or April. 
if they continue to work in Changsha control area, uh, they may lose their new job. And after May, they do not know whether they can find another new job. Uh, but on the other side, if they choose to take the new job, they need to compensate uh, to the management company and pay a payment in lieu of uh, notice, or they may lose their pharmacy payment. So it's a, a difficult situation for them. So we hope, and, and maybe the company will have more communication with, with the staff. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're supposed to be talking about eToll's today, but this is a really interesting part for anybody in Hong Kong that has a job. So the company said, you guys are all going to be fired at the end of at the end of the month. Uh, we're going to work out compensation. Agreements are struck. Everything's agreed. Fine. Done. And the company just comes and says, oh, guess what? You're not fired anymore. And if you leave, you got to pay us. I mean, how does that work? That that seems like something is not right there. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's delayed by the transport department. So we encourage the management company to understand the difficulty that the staff face. Uh, if they need to take the new job next month before, uh, because maybe some of the staff have already find another new job uh, because they, they are notified that uh, their uh, work, last working day is in March before, uh, but now the, the government changed their plan, and so I I hope that uh, the, the the management company can understand the difficulties of the staff and no need for them to pay the payment in the year of notice. Uh, yeah. Maybe the staff will will take the new job, so but, so that they have a uh, they have a choice. <laughs> yeah, but I mean the other question is how how can they get away with this? I mean it seems like every unscrupulous employer in Hong Kong would do this if they're like, okay, you're fired. I agree I have to make the payment because that's the law. Fine. And then like two weeks before you're supposed to go, they go, aha, I'm unfiring you and now you have to pay me. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't seem right. Like does the transport de- department get away with this because they're government and they have different laws? I mean, Tim Howe, I don't know if you have any, any insight on this. Well, um, I don't have any insight except that I fully agree with you. It doesn't make much sense. I mean, if we all abide by labor contracts, okay, then um, then presumably if you let somebody go, then that person is essentially, um, you know, the contract is, is finished, okay, and that that person is not held to it, okay, not bound to it, and, and would not have to pay. But I understand that the um, transport department, okay, uh, Transfer Commissioner promised that all these um, excretia payments would be would be paid, right? I mean, they and and presumably the simplest way is simply to rehire them on short term basis, and I, I would imagine pay a little bit more um, to uh, essentially uh, compensate for the fact that they may have uh, let to let go of another job opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So, um, are you surprised by the delay then? Do you think we are actually ready to roll out the whole ETO system? Well, yeah, I am a little bit surprised because this is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not new. I mean, the, the transit car has, uh, has proposed this for a long time, and um, it's, it's something that um, should, I mean, Hong Kong is, I, I guess, behind. 
okay. Overseas, of course, uh, a lot of places have all these uh, electronic code collection, and um, and it's it's just just the way forward, okay. And um, and somehow um, uh, not uh, having all the registered um, vehicle uh, drivers get all, uh, get all these um, these um, transponders, okay. Uh, uh, in time in the mail is is really a surprise. Mm. And I guess maybe maybe we could explain that to our listeners a little bit. Uh, the new the new system they're setting up and plan to have everywhere in Hong Kong by the end of the year is that drivers will either get a tag, you know, which is almost like a like a top up card that they can put on their car and when they drive through it tops it off. Or if they don't have that, then there's license plate readers that will take a picture and send you a bill later on. You've got two weeks to pay it. Uh, how much is how much is the government expecting in savings from from implementing a program like this versus having people sitting in toll booths? Sorry. Say so. How much is the government? How much do you think the government will save implementing a new system where they don't have the toll booths, they don't have people sitting in toll booths, getting paid to be there, uh, and instead just having drivers kind of zip through? Oh well, um, in terms of the savings, for instance, uh, for um, certainly uh, for. Um, I mean, you, you'd save on the labor costs, right? I mean, you have 40 toll collectors right now, apparently, right? Uh, the government has let go. And um, the, the labor costs of, uh, of that over the long term, and more importantly, I think, is really the fact that you don't have to have toll booths, okay? Uh, and the toll plaza would be smaller. So, as you know, Hong Kong... We're in a very crowded uh, place, okay, and um, and any any land, any uh, space that we can save from from not having to build totals, okay, uh, would actually um, uh, uh, be, be be big savings over the long run. Gotcha. And Lam Chun Singh, are you more worried about a broader trend of uh, workers being replaced by technology? I mean. Or are you like thinking this isn't the greatest job in the world? People are sitting out there and you know auto fumes all day long. You know what? What is the federation of uh, labor unions take on this? Uh, I, I think uh, the government introduced the zero tolling system, uh, e toll system. I think is the direction of smart traffic and even smart city is more convenient. We also support that, um, but 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 I. Uh, and we also believe that the government will continue to implement uh, fee flow tolling system in other tunnels in the future. And I think the government should uh, communicate with the management company to notice them to consider the, 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 the manpower requirement after the implementation of the fee flow tolling system. Uh, because now there's about uh, 200 to 300 the toll collectors in different tunnels in Hong Kong in the future, they may lose their job. And the government can uh, encourage the contractor and the management company to be deploying the suitable staff to other parts in the tunnel or control area or uh, arrange them to the job position in other business under the same company or related company and provide some training for the staff 
so that they can engage in other job positions within the company. And because the, the, the smart traffic and, and the smart city is the future direction, but we also hope that the company can provide more training to the staff so that they can transfer to other job positions. Are you going to name the company? Everybody keeps saying the management company, the, the contractor, the who is it? I mean, if, if you guys want to put some pressure on them, don't you want to name and shame? Uh, sorry? Who, who is the company? We keep saying the company, but who is the company? What is the name of the company? Oh, the company, because the, the, the government outsourced the management company. Now, the, the tunnel and the control area is managed by a company. Uh, the situation is like other tunnels, and and so the staff of um, the uh, Changsha control area is not the staff of the government, but uh, they are the employees of that company, that management company. Do you know the name of the company? The, the, the name maybe we can search in the internet. Okay, so we don't, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Mr. Lai, um, as you mentioned just now, um, the government obviously are planning to phase out um, the two boats at. Um, other tunnels as well. Are you worried about sim- Are you worried that similar situation might happen in the future, or um, how should we better transit from um, manual uh, manual toll to um, automatic toll? Do you think um, we should like maybe half? Uh, maybe we have we should have half e toll first, or like yeah? What do you think? Um, yeah, because. Um uh, we also listen to uh, some of the opinion of the driver that all, now almost half of the driver have not uh, registered and, and the owner of the car can apply for vehicle tag and open and, and e-toll account and link to the account of the vehicle. But, but uh, many drivers face uh, some difficulties because I think uh, Hong Kong net uh, in the advance for the e-toll service. Uh, uh, before, not even all drivers are using the auto toll, and maybe the, the government can, uh, or the management company can keep some uh, toll payment counters operating for a short period in the future so that the driver can adapt uh, to the change and and uh, the staff can and can continue to have a job. and. And because and another problem is the digital gap faced by some of the elderly drivers and unfamiliar with smart and new technology. So I, I, I think we, we need some time, but, but we, we hope the government can finally implement a free-flow tolling system in Changsha control area in May. Dr. Howe? Yes. Dr. Howe, I mean, this problem with the older drivers, uh, older drivers, especially in taxis, I mean, we, it's, it's a well-known fact that taxi drivers in Hong Kong in particular are really, you know, the, the average age, I think, is, is over 65, the average. Uh, and so, I mean, you've got that, you've got older drivers in the general public. Are, are we having a problem adapting to becoming a more modern city because we have an older population, one of the oldest in the world? Well, I am surprised because of the fact that I thought that, you know, you get on a taxi, they have all these these smartphones, okay? <laughs> True. They savvy with, with essentially handling different different calls, different orders, and this and that, okay? And and it seems to me that, I mean, that, that's, that's the way to go, 
okay? I mean, that's the way forward. I mean, there's no stopping. Basically, everything is being automated these days, okay? And um, the fact that, for instance, okay, I mean, we, we understand, of course, that half of the uh, vehicle owners are not registered, which is a bit surprising, okay? Uh, apparently, there's some, you know, delay in the administration of, uh, of sending out these tags. But, but in terms of the automation, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, okay? And uh, the savings, okay, from not having to um, uh, stop vehicles or the vehicle has to slow down and then hand over um, uh, money, okay, uh, in order to, to get past the tolls, okay? That, that's sort of the antiquated system. As we know, auto toll has been having all these transformer toll tags for a while, except that they have a monthly administration fee, which means that's, that's really the reason why um, it has been slow in picking up. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I've long argued that, that the government, in fact, should, should get in, okay, um, and, and, and either cover the administration fee or essentially encourage or subsidize in some way uh, so so that uh, we can get this non-stop, uh, you know, queue-free um, polling system, okay, which which really is is an advent of the future, for instance, with electronic um, uh, road pricing. You, you, you need that in place, okay, where everything is free-flowing traffic, multi-lane traffic, crisscrossing, and so on, and that you don't have these uh, toll in the way. Right. And then we've got, you know, environmental benefits that come from, uh, environmental benefits come from having less congestion, you know, more yeah. clean, cleaner running cars. But, uh, Mr. Lamb, Dr. Howe makes a very good point. The taxi drivers are very adept at adapting, adapting new technology when they're going to make more money, you know, D, you know, Uber taxi. Great. Throw up another cell phone. Got five cell phones on the dashboard. Good to go. Make some more money. But now when it comes time for them to change how they pay a fee, they're like, oh, digital divide. I can't handle it. Oh, I need more time. Is there is there a little bit of a, a disconnect here where maybe people are really good at adapting to technology when they're going to make more money, but not so good when <laughs> they're going to have to pay in a different way and they're not so interested? Mm, yeah, yeah, and of course now the government um, always introduced new measures to improve the a surface of the taxi and introduce the quality surface of taxi and encourage the taxi driver to use uh, smart and new technology. So, but uh, but another uh, the fact is that use uh, of the taxi driver uh, their age is over sixty and and many of them is the elderly drivers. So um, uh, maybe for some new technology, it's uh, difficult for them to uh, uh, learn and they're unfamiliar with the new technologies and still have a digital gap. And, and so that uh, we hope that uh, the, the government can uh, concentrate on the elderly drivers and provide more, for example, promotion and, and, and training section for them and, and provide more video for them so that they can uh, watch the video and learn some new technologies and 
and also for most of the drivers, I think, I think in in other countries the eto service may be very common, but but Hong Kong is, is not that situation, and and even some of the drivers uh, uh, pay the money uh, when they cross the tunnel uh, and pay the coins instead of using auto toll. So uh, maybe the government can also provide some incentives, but, but I don't know, for example, some fee gifts, uh, because uh, when you look at the consumption voucher, uh, the consumption voucher, because we can use uh, the voucher to buy things, so all the people will install the, the Alipay and learn how to use the Alipay, and, and so that maybe the, the government can and provide more promotion and, and, and also some incentive for the driver, especially the, the elderly driver, so that uh, we can uh, finally introduce a fee flow tolling system in, in all the tunnels in, in, in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong will become a smart city. Um, and I think one of the concerns um, for those taxi drivers are that they don't, they don't really know how to split the bills because um, they just rent a taxi and then um, so do you think that could possibly have some dispute between the taxi drivers and the owners of the taxi? And, and I, I think for, for some of the drivers, they, 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 uh, they may, may, may also improve their service. And, and, and maybe may the, the government will provide more uh, training and, and, and promotion and so that the driver will, will also, uh, they have a competition and maybe uh, other uh, the vehicle also use technology and they can, they still have uh, some competition. And I think uh, after the, the, the government provide more promotion or incentives, maybe the driver can, uh, for the taxi driver, they can attract them to use more uh, new technology. Yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, Yuki's making the point, are there going to be problems, especially when they have the ones where, you know, drivers can just drive through and the, the passengers don't see the charge being applied. So then when they get to the destination, the taxi driver's like, oh, here's the fee for the tunnel. Uh, you know, is that going to create, is that going to create problems? Do we need to get new yellow stickers to put on the inside of the back of the taxis that tell you what all the extra charges are? Dr. Howe? Yeah, well, I don't think that's a problem either because we already have that going on, right? I mean, every time you cross the tunnel, if, if a taxi driver happens to have auto toll, okay? Um, I mean, uh, granted that they're they're in the minority, okay? Uh, they, that, uh, at, you know, once you get to the destination, you know, when uh, the taxi meter, uh, you know, the, 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 the bill comes out, okay? And... Um, so their baggage fees and all these other uh, fees are toll fees, okay, and 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 they're all shown. And I don't uh, I, I don't hear of um, many complaints, or um, you know, there may be occasional disputes over that, but but that's already pretty standard and powerful, of course. So I don't think that should be a problem. I mean, in fact, I think this whole thing is a bit of a you know a storm in a teacup, okay. I mean, it, it, it's it's commonly done, fast track in the San Francisco Bay Area system. You know, you basically, you know, seventy five percent of uh, uh, people use use that. Okay, um, you know, basically, 
uh, you don't want to use a transponder tag, okay, you 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 can, you know, they're essentially these uh, license plate readers that 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 are charged and you get it in the mail, okay. So so there are various options, and of course Hong Kong transport management is very efficient. Actually, they're they're you know, pay by credit cards, you can uh, pay by cash, okay, using stored value accounts, okay, get bank account. I mean, various options that are made, okay. Uh, and and especially with stored value account, you you can protect your privacy and so on and so forth. So I really find it um, puzzling that there is all this, um, you know, commotion. Oh, the fact that there are 40 toll collectors, okay, losing their jobs, and presumably, I mean, with all this fuss, okay, in the news, okay, they will be fully compensated. I'm absolutely sure of that. I mean, we're we're law and order country. Well, not country, I mean uh, city, and, and basically we, you know, contracts will be um, respected. I certainly hope so. I mean, it does have uh, interesting implications. Um, I looked up, I think I've got the name of the right tunnel company. The Chun Wo Tunnel Management Company is the one that I think we were looking for. I'm really glad that we had our guests on today. I'd like to thank them. Uh, Dr. Tim Howe was closing us out. He's the Honorary Associate Professor, Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Thanks to you, Dr. Howe. And also thanks to Lam Chun Singh, who's the Chair of the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions uh, here in Hong Kong. Had some strong views on making sure they take care of the workers. Uh, we've got an email we can maybe get to after the break. We're going to switch, get a little bit more on the tech side of this uh, with our guests that are joining us after the hour. Neil wants to know, is the removal of toll booths but leaving the toll charging infrastructure behind just a way of bringing in electronic road pricing via the back door? Maybe we can get our guests uh, after the hour, uh, after the news to answer that one. We'll give you a quick hit on the weather today. Oh, it looks good, mainly fine, cool in the morning, dry during the day. Max temperature, 21 degrees, looking good. Uh, and nice weekend as well. It's rather warm on Sunday. Right now it's 16 degrees Celsius, 75% humidity on Backchat. Hands Backchat, we're back. It's uh, me, Andrew Work. I'm here with uh, Yuki Tsang, and we've got a whole new round of guests to discuss our topic today. We're looking at the Hong Kong e-toll project, the plan to shift our city over to 100%. Uh, automated tolling system, so no more toll booths at your tunnels. Joining us now, getting techie with it, uh, we've got Rex Tsang, who is the founder of Algobot Limited. Good morning, Rex. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the show. Also with us today is Daniel Chun, Vice President of the Smart City Consortium. Good morning, Daniel. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Yuki. Good morning. Hey, guys, before we kick off, i got to do a little correction. Uh, you know, this is what happens when you're doing radio on the fly. It's live. Sometimes mistakes get made. But we looked we looked it up, the Ting Sha control area. Thanks, Yuki, for, for calling me out. The contractor is not the one that I said before, so I will not say it again. The Ting Sha control area, which includes the tunnels uh, in question, the Eagle's Nest and such, is T-I-M-L-M-O-M. TML Mom, do you pronounce it Mom? I don't know, but that's the company. So if people are interested in, in you know, who's responsible for the contracts of the 40 workers we talked about, that's who it is, TIML. So uh, we've got Rex and Daniel, the tech guys. We, uh, we had a question emailed to us from a guy named Neil, and he says, uh, in the removal of toll booths, but leaving the toll charging infrastructure behind, is this just a way of bringing in electronic road pricing via the back door? And Rex, um, Rex what do you think? Yes, I, I think uh, uh, it's good because uh, you know that uh, in other countries also this technology is, is, is also applying in, in different 
areas and then uh, especially the highway. So it is a, uh, I think Hong Kong is uh, putting more effort in building a smart city. Uh, for example, the uh, the Ito. Um, I think uh, there will be more technology coming uh, to improve our living in Hong Kong. And uh, actually, the, this one of the technology in IoT, Internet of Things, uh, that is a technology that's applied in a device that uh, to sense uh, the object and then uh, uh, for to make some analysis and then or even payment or charges. So I think uh, it's a big trend. Yeah, I mean, isn't toll? I mean, Neil says, is it coming in the back door? Isn't it the front door? I mean, isn't tunnel toll pricing already electronic road pricing? And it's it's quite common in other places, right? Daniel, I'm, I mean, when I go to Singapore, yeah. it's quite visible. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Um, yeah, totally agree. Um, electronic road pricing has been much talked about in uh, government, the uh, TD for consultation for a long time. They just haven't really um, had the time uh, during the last three, four years to actually roll it out in any significant way. And in fact, at, at Smart City Consulting, we've, we've been advocating the, the need for uh, more than just the central area, the, the CBD area, to experiment with uh, uh, the uh, electronic road, road pricing, right? The ERP, I mean, it's, yeah, Andrew, you're right. I mean, in Singapore, they've been implemented for a long time, right? So. Yeah, and I mean, it's not doesn't seem controversial. How is it different from other countries, like um, the tech that we're using? We're using radio frequency identification technology. Is it just similar to the ones that we we use our phone to be our octopus? Like, yeah, can you believe, like, how is it different from other techs? Right, right. Uh, well, yes, um, sure enough, the technology that's being deployed today in the ETO, uh, it's using radio frequency, um, you know, um, what, what they call it, it's like, you know, basically transmitters and then antennas. And, um, and um, uh, Rex is right, it's just related to IoT. Uh, but in other countries, um, they do uh, use cameras, right? So they, they just actually snap, take a snapshot of the, the, the number plate, which is already something that it's being widely used for identification, right? Um, uh, but for some reason, you know, this is not one of the options or being uh, taken um, from the Hong Kong government, at least. And they're, they're also using uh, technology where they just got to photograph your license plate, uh, license plate recognition, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Is this the latest cutting edge? Are we, are we getting the, the best of the best of the best and the latest and greatest? Or are we using something, you know, maybe a little bit old? Or are we using something that's so cutting edge that it hasn't worked out the bugs? I mean, where does this technology sit on the spectrum? Uh, from, my, from what I've understood uh, in some of the the technology from the at least from the RFID technology has been advancing over the years, right? Even uh, one of the research center uh, LSCM in Hong Kong, they have been actually been filing a lot of patents on, on these themselves uh, uh, for you know, using for tow for tow booth, right? For actually for transport for smart mobility. So I think I think definitely we are actually advancing using some of the latest uh, and uh, camera. Technology has its advantage, but also has its disadvantages. So, so uh, I'm sure we are making a big, you know, good judgment here. Uh, but the only thing that we we we're concerned with the eToll is because of the fact that I think they don't have enough inventory of the devices. I mean, uh, what's of it if you don't have inventory to serve your customer base, right, the audience? So I think this is the question we have right now. So you say, when you say that you don't mean the technology they're going to install at the tunnels, you mean the technology they're going to put in people's cars, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think in both ways, right? The antenna, I think it's already, but I, 
from what I've, I've been um, hearing, it, it's actually the inventory, the supplier chain, the supplying chain, right? Now having enough those, um, you know, stickers, those RFID stickers. Yeah, da- Daniel, you you guys look at a lot of different cities around the world that are implementing programs. Uh, are these typical hangups? for implementing a program like this? I'm like, I'm guessing not everybody's rollout of a smart city initiative goes smoothly. Um, is this a typical kind of problem? Uh, well, right now what they're doing is a POC, right? It's trying, they, they want to train up everyone slowly, right? I think it's a, actually a good benchmark for 400, for what half of the you know, registered number of vehicles having already got it. Um, but it's just that I think it's just a, um, Growing pain, you know, we have to switch to a totally new system. Uh, we just, you know, for overall users, we just have to get used to it. Uh, they could have done better, absolutely. They could have done better in terms of, you know, training the people, you know, preempting the people that, you know, what is. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and have we got other initiatives on the horizon that we're looking to that, uh, you know, can we learn something from this for, you know, other smart city initiatives that we're trying to launch in Hong Kong? Or Rex? Take your pick, boys. <laughs> maybe Mr. Don't be shy. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe Mr. Yeah. Don't be shy. Yeah. yeah, Rex, fire away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I think uh, uh, it is the starting point because, you know, Hong Kong has uh, many policies to uh, add technology in, the, in our living. Uh, and now uh, it's about traffic. Uh, they want to solve the traffic jam problem in Hong Kong, especially the tunnels. And then, uh, uh, but they, they need to solve the inventory problem first. And then finally, I, I think that uh, if, if, if the citizens are trained up to use the technology, including they install the, the apps in their mobile and then charge online. And I think uh, uh, there's some traffic problems uh, will be solved in, in the future. And then uh, also, uh, I, I think uh, for, for the camera ones, uh, I mean, uh, the recognition about the car actually, uh, some car park is using this technology, but I, uh, but this is for the private company. But I don't think government may may take this because of the privacy issue. So, but uh, I think uh, yeah, is it will apply more technology in in, in the transportation areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Daniel, it, it seems like the hang up here is it's not really the technology itself, is it? It's more about people and administration. What what can we learn from this if we're going to try to apply other smart city initiatives in Hong Kong? Yeah, I, I think I think um, there was some. Um, there was definitely an administrative and somehow kind of logistic issues involved, right? So I think the learning from, from at least I hope that the government department responsible or the, uh, the supplier, that, that the vendor that's involved can actually really start thinking about, you know, the, the capacity that they can handle, right? Um, they, they seem to have did a lot of, you know, communication that, you know, something's going to happen, something's going to happen, but yet it's still a very, very small chunk of, you know, it's not impacting the, 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 the wider audience. So it really should be a uh, advocated, you know, or at least to be framed as a um, POC of some sort rather than, like, you know, we're going to fully launch this, right? So, so they, they're not managing the um, citizens' expectation, right? And this is why it's such a kind of publicity role, you know, kind of, um, yeah. 
Yeah. But is, um, is, is the problem not the tech, but the people? I mean, I guess, uh, you know, like you, in the absolutely. first part of the show, Yuki made the point that, you know, when it was time to hand out money, old people lined mm. up to figure out how to use technologies they hadn't used for because they wanted to, they wanted yeah. to get that money. My mom still doesn't know how to use um, the phone to be, the, like how, how to insert the octopus into the phone. So how do we closer the digital gap? This has been something that we've been always been saying is like the inclusion, inclusion, right? Like, like there's always a class of people uh, that would not be comfortable, you know, using so much you know, technology, right? So how can we be inclusive? This is actually something that we addressed uh, even in our advisory report to the government. It's like we, we ought to look at all these websites, all these, all these signs, road signs, and, and, and technology that that are forcing some of the different generations to, 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 you know, to, to try to learn new things, right? That's quite difficult sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, but presumably for the better. I mean, you know, ideally it'd be better if people weren't slowing down, weren't, you know, getting congestion, burning more fuel, increasing their carbon footprint, making the air dirtier. I mean, I think, you know, generally I think there's an agreement that this overall target is, is yeah, good. It's just you, the implementation. You have a point here, Andrew, but I, I see the, the, the risk here is the confusion it will, may cause accidents, right? I, I recall, uh, this is this is fact, okay? Yeah. I recall that there was a, a um, before uh, the sea toll, obviously we have auto toll, right? And one of the, one of the really, really um, um, frustrating part of the uh, auto toll was uh, for long period of time, they didn't allow motorbikes to actually use auto toll. Uh-huh. Now, and there was that, there was actually an accident by an expatriate in a motor rider that got rammed into by some, uh, when he was stopping for the pay the, for the toll, right? Uh. By some guy, maybe drunk driver, but but because he was, you know, the motorcycles were barred not to use auto toll. This is something that exactly happened last time, right? And uh, also in my, uh, what well, we in the SEC advisory report, we did lobby for the auto toll to actually make change about six years ago. And eventually they did it. Uh, they, they allowed, you know, motorcyclists to have you know, auto toll. That means they can uh, seamlessly just ride past without accidents, right? Now, this might happen again. I mean, this detail right now with the confusion, uh, it could happen that, you know, people are confused. Uh, do I have to stop? I'm afraid that I may not I may be penalized if I, if I don't, you know, stop or whatever, right? So uh, we just don't hope that these, these accidents won't happen. All right. Good points, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. This was Daniel Chun, Vice President of the Smart City Consortium, and Rex Tsang, the founder of Algobot Limited, talking to us about the Hong Kong government's uh, e-toll scheme. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. All right. It's a little bit of a throwback Friday because we're talking on Backchat now about the sale of illegal cat and dog meat. I think a lot of people in Hong Kong probably thought we were past that sort of thing. But no, uh, there was a restaurant that uh, has basically been busted for selling cat and dog meat to customers. Uh, we're going to get some more on that to now from Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, who's the Deputy Director of Welfare at the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Woodhouse. Good morning. Good morning. And we also uh, have on the phone Karina O'Carroll, who's in with uh, does Animal Welfare Education Manager at Animals Asia Foundation. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so do you want to give us a lowdown on what exactly was happening here? And, and one thing that I'm not clear on was this, this restaurant... Uh, were the customers going there and, and 
deliberately ordering cat and dog meat? Was this kind of their go-to or was this restaurant kind of serving it up to customers and not, you know, telling them it was tastes like chicken or whatever? Um, I think I can give a bit of background as far as I understand. A lot of the details been in the Chinese press, but it was actually a, a food shop that was selling meat. So, um, and I believe that the... Uh, the undercover reporter actually pre-ordered this somehow. Um, so it was a, a response to demand. Um, and subsequently, there was an expose and follow-up action by AFCD and uh, FEHD, who found um, some suspected cat meat, which I believe has been confirmed to be cat meat. Um, so I don't think this was a case of people unsuspectingly being sold dog and cat meat. Um, I think it was a, a sort of supply and demand situation where a customer requested it. So they're, they're busting out their Martha Stewart cookbook of cat meat and that's their go-to to order it. Uh, it seems that that is the, what's happening, yes. And I think we have to be aware that there are two situations. There's one about local slaughter uh, and production of dog and cat meat, which um, is obviously illegal, as is the possession of dog and cat meat and and subsequent eating it but um, we have to look at uh, where this meat is coming from um, and our understanding is that this was probably smuggled in from China to meet the customer's order. I see. Karina Carol, can you shed some light on maybe how that how that supply chain works? Um, I would be hazarding a guess but um, you know I think obviously um, I've read the local media reports as well and it seems that there was WhatsApp um, chats and um, you know images of products from over um, the border. Um, how they ended up in Hong Kong, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure um, AFCD and FEHD are investigating that supply chain, um, thankfully. But um, um, I would say probably um, via vehicle, it's probably coming over it's in some way, I would imagine. Okay, so maybe, yeah, because I think I saw, was it Hai, was it not Hainan, Hebei, was it Hebei province that was supplying? Uh, yeah, there's a one of like dogs festival or something. I think also um, we should note that uh, according to some of the media reports that we has, have seen an increasing trend in the seizure of smuggling meat and obviously that mm -hmm. reflects an increasing trend in the smuggling of meat. In China, it's quite easy on social media to find references to dog and cat meat so it's something that is relatively accessible even though it is not, in some areas it's illegal and in other areas it's not legal. I mean you could argue about the difference between that um, uh, but it's a uh, an issue that is there and obviously if there is a demand for it in Hong Kong then there will be people, people who will smuggle to meet that demand. Yeah, I think I remember seeing dog, no, I remember seeing dog jerky at the airport in China 20 years, maybe 20 years ago. But I mean, is it still quite widely sold in some places? Like publicly packaged, like, you know, kind of next to beef jerky and dog jerky and cat jerky sitting on the shelf? I think it's probably not as open because there are social sort of issues around the consumption, but obviously you do have uh, dog meat festivals and, and things like that. There are, have been uh, efforts to regulate this in China. They've now got a national catalogue of livestock and poultry genetic resources, which sort of states what animals can be kept and for what purposes. And they actually reference that dogs are allowed to be kept as companion animals and, and working dogs, but there's no reference to cats in that material at the moment in the FAQs. So, and also Shenzhen and um, I think Zhuhai have also banned, specifically banned the consumption of dog and cat meat and it is actually illegal and there are different fines. So they're sort of looking at the regulation 
Um, but again, you know, in Hong Kong, it's legal uh, on two grounds generally. One is uh, for public health and rabies prevention, and also there were animal welfare concerns around the, the trade when the legislation was introduced in the 50s. Do you think it's um, actually quite hard to make arrests or um, to find all these shops who sell dog meats? Because I think I was reading one of the news reports and then they were saying that um, the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department said there were two complaints last year, but then they couldn't make any arrests because when they go to the shop, there's no, they couldn't find any dog meat. Do you think this mm -hmm. is one of the concerns? I think it's definitely a case for um, an increase in spot checks on some of these um, establishments that are selling meat products. Um, so I think definitely with this this case, it sort of highlights the need for further enforcement and spot checks and perhaps maybe a public campaign to remind, obviously, the legislation. We do have this in Hong Kong, preventing, um, obviously, the sale um, of dog and cat meat um, and that there are fines and imprisonment um, for anybody who tries to source or sell um, meat of this kind. How big are the fines and how long is the imprisonment? Uh, well, I believe it's approximately 5,000 Hong Kong dollars and about six months imprisonment if people do have, um, if there's successful prosecution. But I think another key element to this case as well is that obviously the relevant authorities have to be informed and, you know, their ability to gather um, admissible evidence for a court case is really important. So I think, you know, one of the recommendations would be that if anybody um, is made aware or finds out that some... Uh, a shop is selling this type of meat, then it definitely would be the first point of call to involve the relevant authorities so that they can properly follow up. I think the other thing is, I believe that this shop actually wasn't licensed itself. Mm -hmm. So where FEHD might be inspecting licensed premises, they may not be aware of these unlicensed premises. So I think there needs to be more education about that. Mm -hmm. And as Karina says, it's very, very important that if we want to get convictions and to highlight this and to, to clamp down, that we do need people to report these situations to the authorities first please don't put them on social media and because that actually blows the operation and mm. chain of evidence is very important and it may be that in the future there need to be more targeted undercover operations um, so that we can actually get those that sort of evidence if you go for a reg regular inspection and you turn up in your uniform i think you're probably very unlikely to find suspect meat mm. um, so we do need to have proper reporting by, by people who suspect such uh, actions and also the ability to do the targeted undercover ops. I mean, if they really wanted to lay the heavy on these guys, they could go like all like they did with Al Capone, get them, get them for tax evasion. If they're not an official business, you know, not reporting their income, uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, with illegal drugs, there's a difference between possession and consumption and then trafficking. Are there two tiers of penalties or laws concerning the trade in animal meat? Um, I think there would be different uh, aspects. So uh, the penalty f is the same for possession, sale, um, slaughter um, and under the legislation. But when you're involving smuggling, uh, bringing uh, meat across the border, you've got other other sanctions that could be brought into play, like smuggling, customs and excise legislation, public health, rabies prevention, ordinances, etc. So there are other, as you say, there are other measures. And obviously then you've got the business regulation issues, which I can't speak to. Mm. And how much, um, how, how widespread do we think this is in Hong Kong? How often do they, like, I mean, this, this, one, store, this one store has been a big news story, uh, which suggests that they're not, you know, catching people doing this every day. But how often are we seeing this in like, 
You know, is there any kind of a projection as to how many of these outlets there might be in Hong Kong? Mm, I'm, I'm not aware of any projection, but I would suspect it's a lot more widespread than we were aware of because um, with the increase in smuggled meat, um, with the increase in availability on social media, you know, before if we didn't have social media, you had to know which shop it was and you had to go there. Now with uh, all sorts of social media, some people have reported that social media is one of the biggest criminal networks in the world because it's so easy mm. to get into private chat groups and to do things and, and engage in activities that you may not engage in normally. And I think obviously there may be sort of a, with different populations moving around, there may be sort of cultural or habitual uh, sort of things that people want to do um, that aren't now common or weren't historically common in more recent history in Hong Kong. Mm. And, and what about other what about other animals? Um, I know at the Animals Asia Foundation, you guys are really focused on uh, bear bile in particular. Is that still yeah, widely sought correct. after that's in Hong we Kong? We have three three programs that we operate. So we mainly deal with bears, dog and cat issues, and then also um, uh, captive animal issues as well across Asia. I seem to remember some big-name celebrity was uh, name-dropping you guys recently. We have a, quite a few who support us and our work. But um, I think just as a sort of final note on this, I think, you know, the the outrage that has sort of come up in the community from this case just um, highlights that, you know, uh, dogs and cats as our companions and friends rather than a, support, um, a source of food um, is definitely um, something that I think is quite prevalent in Hong Kong. Um, also as well, just people's attitudes generally towards dogs. I think uh, we commissioned a survey last year that showed that 70%, um, over 70% of our population really loves dogs and I'm pretty sure cats as well. Um, but, you know, I think there's just a change in attitudes, a change in behavior towards, obviously, um, our behavior and our consumption um, of, of different animals. But um, I think um, as companions and friends, um, dogs definitely bring a lot of uh, positive benefits to people um, as our companions at home rather than a source of food. So I think people are aware there's a growing, obviously, um, interest in keeping pets as companions um, and so it's nice to see that sort of the societal attitudes towards these animals and keeping them in our homes um, is more prevalent perhaps than obviously attitudes towards eating them. Are, are there pet style animals also on the menu possibly? I mean, you know, people keep rabbits as pets, but if you go to a respectable French restaurant, hey, rabbits are on the menu. Uh, when I came here, you know, snake was big. You know, we, we go for snake a couple of times a year. Now it's like I barely ever hear about anybody going for snake anymore. Is snake kind of come on. Is, is snake banned or did it at some point get outlawed in Hong Kong or did it just drop out of fashion? I think, again, it's probably sort of societal change in attitudes towards um, different species and animals. And as Fiona mentioned earlier, just the supply and demand situation as well. So, um Hopefully a reduction will continue for lots of different species and help them to continue. But um, I think it's definitely a, an issue we could debate and discuss for a very long time. <laughs> well, we got another two minutes on the show at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything that we should look out for or what, like, what should we do if we find some shops are suspected to be selling these illegal meats? I think definitely um, a call to the police, also possibly the SPCA as well, FEHD and AFCD. They would all be um, relevant to involve in a situation if people suspect. Um, so I think reports could probably be made to 1823, but obviously um, it's probably better to just phone the police directly and then let them take things from there. Gotcha.
Gotcha. I mean, and and uh, maybe just before we go, uh, Dr. Woodhouse, maybe, maybe we could ask you guys to get your phone numbers in or let people know where they can contact you. Uh, of course, at the SPCA, yeah. Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. If somebody sees something, who uh, do they call? 27111 000. So 27111000. And obviously, you can call the police or 1823 as well. Um, and I think the important thing is that people need to educate their family members and friends about this because it's not just one person that's eating the dog or cat meat. It's probably a group of people. And they need to understand that in China, this is not um, a victimless crime, not only for the dogs and cats, but many of these animals are stolen. Uh, there are cases where... Um, you know, recent case reported in, uh, I think, Zhuhai, where uh, Shiba Inu was stolen and sold into the meat trade in a neighboring uh, sort of area. And they identified that dog through its implanted microchips. So there are sort of big issues in terms of gangs going around or individuals going around and uh, dog napping dogs and then them ending up in the dog and cat meat trade. So if you find, you find a microchip in your hot pot, something has definitely gone wrong. Most certainly. All right. Uh, thank you very much both to Dr. Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, Deputy Director of Welfare Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, also known as the SPCA. And thank you also to Karina O'Carroll, Animal Welfare Education Manager at Animals Asia Foundation. Thank you very much to all of you, our listeners. Uh, we had people listening, calling, getting in touch, sending us uh, emails. It was great. Uh, today's show was produced by Janice Wong and Kar Ha. The sound man today was Tsang Wing Ming. Back Chat is going to be back on Monday with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. But one voice that you will not be hearing in the future is Yuki Tong. Today is her last show. Yeah. She was producer for many years, recently made her debut on air. Yeah. And she's going to be leaving us for the South China Morning Post. Yuki, sorry to see you go. Yeah, um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who helped me um, throughout my journey here at RTHK. Um, thanks, Andrew, for making the show good. I wanted to say thank you to Noreen, um, Angie, Janice, and Christy, my colleagues. Um, also to Phil and Jim. All right. Thanks so much, Yuki. Got to do the weather. Mainly fine, cool in the morning. Uh, great weekend ahead. The temperature now is 17 degrees Celsius, 74% humidity. Take a happy ride with Joy Yukon. Just tap and feel the joy of getting around. Hey, pals over 65, you must apply for a Joy U card in phases by the end of this year. Your current octopus will not be covered under the $2 scheme in future. Hong Kong residents born in 1948 and 49 must apply for a Joy U card in January and February by Octopus app or by post. For details, visit the Joy U card website or call 3147 138